Welcome back once again to the Kyle Style Podcast. Uh, appreciate your patience if you've been waiting over this uh, several-month hiatus. Um, had you really try to get my my quote-unquote uh, stuff together. So, uh, this episode, once again, having an update with a Conscious Caracal down in uh, South Africa. A lot of uh, good information from him and a cha- maybe an update, maybe a change in the whole game. Things changed very quickly over the last few weeks. So, uh, before we dive in, uh, head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design. Check out some of, my, some of my original artwork on mugs and shirts and prints and all that good stuff. And I, of course, get a portion of the proceeds. Uh, otherwise, go over to the uh, GoFundMe page. Throw me a couple of dollars. Uh, be sure to follow Caracol. Follow me on Twitter. Um, and look out for uh, more updates in the future. All right. Here we go. Conscious Caracol, an update from South Africa. All right, so we're back on with Conscious Caracal. Caracal, what in the hell has happened in South Africa? What's going on? No, it's definitely interesting times. Uh, 2018 <laughs> has, prob- has definitely built up uh, much, a lot of hype surrounding South Af- the political climate in South Africa. So much is changing at light speed, basically. So I think the, the most important thing that people need to note is that we now basically have a new president. Uh, Jacob Zuma was voted out of the ANC through a no-confidence vote yesterday. The perfect uh, Valentine's present, if I do say so myself. Right. And I have to say, um, happening on Valentine's Day, it's the biggest bombshell breakup since uh, Riva and Oscar Pistorius. <laughs> A uh, South African love story comes to an end, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, no, we I we uh, a... so we had scheduled to talk again a... at like what uh, last week, and then we were like, well, let's do it next week, and we were like, let's do it Tuesday, and then we moved it to today, Thursday, and one day, and all of a sudden, just the whole thing might have shifted, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's amazing what can happen in a few days, how much a country can change in a few days. And I think South Africa is definitely this week will be remembered as a, a pretty monumental development in our very young democracy. Right. But if you, there seems to be a very strong consensus that Zuma was not the man we needed to lead our country. He was definitely a, a president marred with scandal, a bunch of corruption, uh, uh, scandals uh, under his under his watch uh, he built an entire palace for himself with taxpayer money i mean the the man has a, a pretty decent cv in terms of uh missteps if i if i had to put, uh, put it that frankly sure well and you said that he's been the president since uh the end of apartheid right uh no, uh, no? jacob zuma has been president since 2009 so nelson mandela was the first right, uh, right, president right. after 1994 then we had Tabu Mbeki, whose uh, term was cut short due to a, a internal vote in the ANC. They elected Zuma then in 2009. So we've been sitting with the man himself sir, for almost uh, 10 years, almost a decade. So he had a he had so a good he had a, a good run. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he definitely had ample time to put his stamp on the South African political climate and economy. So. He can't really pull that card that no, nothing is his fault. He had ample time to to really leave his mark to put it. 
so I think uh, you can't really claim that all the, the shit that's happened in the past decade in South Africa, all the backwardsness, all the uh, uh, decay almost in some state departments, he can't wash his hands of that. He's been in charge for nearly a decade, like I said. So he's been at the helm all that time. So I don't think he can use the, the get out of jail free card that, oh, no, this has nothing to do with me. Because that's what he said yesterday in his resignation uh I can't really call it a speech, but like his interview, he said, what have I done wrong? And a bunch <laughs> of South Africans online jumped to the jumped on the, the opportunity to point out, well, since you asked the question, let me count the ways. Right. Um, okay, so uh, ap apologies if I slurp my coffee into the microphone or if I say something brain-addled like uh, who's Nelson Mandela or who was your first uh, president. <laughs> Um, so he's still attempting to make excuses for maybe his own mistakes and bad policies, uh, rather mm. than own up to them at all. No, he, uh, he basically is uh, trying to deflect all blame from, from his administration. He, he's blaming it on external forces, almost like a Russian conspiracy. Right. So I can give you some stats here. He was in office for 3,204 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had, and he has a killer stat, 783 counts of fraud and corruption. <laughs> That's pretty good. And That's a pretty good run. 246, 246 million rand he spent on his palace, taxpayer money. Mm -hmm. Also, 18 charges, 12 cabinet reshuffles. This man has a, a very extensive CV. Like, I don't think he can genuinely use the excuse that he had no uh, control over his own fate. There was eight tabled motions of no confidence during his campaign or during his uh, years in office. And that's he from that was that's different... from his own party? Yeah, yeah, from his own party and also <laughs> a opposition party at the same time. Right. He had five different finance man uh, ministers in almost a decade. He had a habit of reshuffling his cabinet. So the man is also pretty indecisive if you look at his, uh, his track record. Uh, a good, uh, uh, a funny story from his, his little palace that he uh, built himself. So he built this huge uh, pool in the backyard of his palace. And then when the media asked him, what is this? He said, oh no, that's a fire pool. It's a pool that we're going to use for uh, if there's ever a fire. It's not a real swimming pool. It's just an emergency pool for to extinguish fires with. So he called it a fire pool. <laughs> so there's this running joke. That's of uh, President Zuma's fire pool. That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, if you got to make something up on the fly, I guess it makes as much sense as anything else. Uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give the man credit. <laughs> He's fucking cold as uh, granite. He can keep his composure under pressure. He had such a laid-back demeanor throughout his entire years in office. Uh, I will commend him on the fact that he can. He doesn't crack under pressure. The man is not an idiot. He's pretty fucking smart when it comes to the game of politics. So, I mean, he's not... So he might be resigning with a bad reputation, but he's not, uh, not going to have to like flee the country. That's what we're going to have to wait and see. Um, mm. He's definitely going to have to appear in court for a bunch of all those claims that I just mentioned. Um, he's not in the clear. Right. I think his ass is nipping a little bit uh, in the fact that he has people gunning for him. But at the same time, in his years in office, he's built like this cult of personality around himself. So he does have his supporters of his own. So he, ha he has so some like loyalists. against the world. Sure. 
Mm, definitely. Okay. He, he's the classic politician, uh, uh, the populist, basically. Builds, builds this very ironclad uh, cult of loyalists around him that protects him and shields him. Sure. And so he does he have some kind of... Uh some kind of moneyed class around him as well oh yeah the the guptas who are a very influential indian family that mm. basically uh, we call it state capture where they manipulated jacob zuma to give them all but uh, a bunch of favors and government power and to really use their funds to control the south african economy mm-hmm. for example uh, one of their family members had a wedding in south africa in I remember like 2013 somewhere and they used the military base to land their private jet gave them clearance and everything and labeled it an emergency so <laughs> that was one of the big scandals where we started thinking oh shit wait something's going on something isn't quite right uh, we're giving permission for these foreigners basically to use our military bases for uh wedding guests right that kind of sounds like mm-hmm. a, a clinton thing or well Kind of sounds like a Trump thing too. To be quite honest. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> all these, all these countries have this class of people. Don't. That's why I always keep telling South Africans: don't think that we're this unique uh, shithole. If I can use that terminology. Right. I think all countries has this uh, political class of elites that definitely can't resist the urge to uh, indulge, misuse, and abuse their power. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. So. Uh, that's why I'll, I'll, I'll cut us some slack. If you look at what's happening in other countries at the same time, even the United States, which, which is supposed to be this pillar of just excellence in terms of politics. <laughs> and Right. If right. you really take a, a hard look at it and you set your, you take off your rose-tinted glasses, you'll see that, no, the, the world in general is pretty messed up. So it's not just South Africa. Right. And you hope that people are just kind of, I don't know, I guess trying to leverage the system uh getting their own back scratched and in the process Mm. a little fallout kind of trickles down to the Uh, people it's like that classic machiavelli quote um power tends to corrupt and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely and i think the average person can't resist that urge right most people that are not in a position of power say oh no that'll never happen to me like i'll i'll definitely use my powers for good and then when you get into that position (laughs) sure man i don't think it dawns on you how much how tempting that is Right. Have you ever seen a gold brick? And then you have it in front of you and you go, oh, the precious. Look at that. Mm. Maybe I don't think that'll fit in my pocket, but I'll try and smuggle it out. Yeah. Right. Um, so now that he's out, does that mean that you're uh, that Jacob Zuma is out? Does that mean that the his party is the ANC? Yes, the African National Congress. So, so are they? Are they in taking his place? So are they having a shit fit too, or are they kind of responsible for this? They're pretty divided at the moment. There's still mm. a lot of Zuma loyalists within the ANC. So I think in the coming months we're going to see hopefully a, a large purge of all these these people that are just have the wool covered over their eyes, the people that are will fucking follow Zuma into the gates of hell. Basically, these people that will never uh, abandon him. But now that he's resigned. I'm calling for those uh, Zuma loyalists to show solidarity by uh, following him out the door. But right. as uh, South African politics go, they'll change their tune very quickly now that that's happened. They'll say, oh, no, we've never, we've never been on that boat. We, we're in right. completely on a different side now. Yeah. Sure. Well, and, and some kind of new, some kind of new uh, charismatic figure will probably emerge and will 
establish a new oh, yeah, a new loyalty um, and and a new yeah. direction. That's what I'm saying. Uh, in politics, you have to, if you really take a good hard look, you'll see that most of these politicians in all countries, they create this little cult of personality around themselves because that's how they protect themselves. They don't have to do all the fighting. They get their little band of peons and they take all the hits, basically. So you get all these uh, cannon fodder that will take the hits and you can safely just sit back and watch the fiasco unfold. Right. It's a it's a good strategy. I'm not gonna gonna lie. It's a, it's pretty scummy, but at the same time, I can understand why you do it. It's the rational way to cling on to powers to create this uh, uh, auxiliary class of people that'll defend you no matter what. Right, and and, see, and whether the and whether the scandals are real and you really are doing shitty things, or if you're just being accused of things, you've got you've mm. got some armor you can shed along the way from yeah. some loyalists. Uh, see, I don't, I don't know how deep the politics gets there. Um, are there, are there like political assassinations or like some Russia level shit going on over there? Uh, yes, there are. There have been many mm -hmm. cases where uh, politicians had their cars rammed off the road and just strange happenings where they commit suicide with two gunshots in the back. <laughs> oh, that's totally normal. Uh, hmm. So, like, I mean, in the, in the U.S., aside from some allegations like the, the Clinton body count, which I always see, but it's kind of one of those things that I don't find to be super credible, but you mm. keep an eye on it. It looks fishy from time to time, but you're saying that there are enough accounts that it's a little more likely there than that we at least think it is here? Oh, yeah, no. In South Africa, these types of things are much more transparent. It's uh, le less incognito. The mm. South African politicians or South African political assassinations and, and the like are not as well covered up. Right. You can easily find a, a trail back to the, the perpetrators. Mm -hmm. But at and... the same time, even that doesn't really play a role. People still don't believe the 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 evidence that they're presented with they'll support their their party leaders and they'll support the people even though there is a large uh, mountain of evidence that these people are engaging in shady dealings right um so so um what was i seeing the other day not to totally change topic but uh so cape town west coast right mm, yes and there uh the majority party there is the opposition party i forgot the name of it uh yes it's the only province in south africa that's ruled by the opposition party the democratic alliance democratic alliance and, but they have some you know, but they have some infighting of their own um i always just call them anc light i'm not a big uh, da <laughs> fan myself um, i see the same mistakes the anc are making in the the da as well they suffer suffer from the same deficiencies just on a, a smaller scale but well, and it's, at the uh, same time, they haven't been in power yet. They haven't run the country. So we don't know. A lot of people say, oh, no, they'll definitely be a better uh, party to lead the country. I'm saying, well, we haven't seen them in action. I'll give them the, the, the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, I'll remain skeptical. I'm not going to indulge in idealism. Right. It could be just a fresh pair of uncomfortable underwear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's the exact same with the, the smaller third parties in the U.S. They always have this great platform. You can't explain, like, why can't these parties gain enough support? But then you realize they've never been in power. They've never right. been tested. Right. So you don't have anything to compare them with. You can't really compare them to any sitting administration because they've never been in that position. 
Right. You haven't so, seen you haven't like, seen Gary saying. Johnson in a presidential debate mm-hmm. like just melt down or say completely yeah. crazy shit when it matters, when it really mm-hmm. when it really matters. Um or so he goes to the to the UN and they realize he doesn't know what where Aleppo is. Right. Not that anyone else fucking does, but he, you know, yeah. you're in that position you should do a little extra <laughs> a yeah. little extra. Um, I mean, you're going to be asked those questions. You're going to be in the spotlight, so you better do your homework. Right. Um, so, so the situation in Cape Town, what seems like, like if you show people, they might go, huh, I don't get it because they haven't been following it. It rained, and people were dancing in the street in the rain <laughs> and shampooing their hair in the rain. Uh, yes. <laughs> can you fill us in? And, and is that something that just came out in the last few months, or is that... Has that been an lo- ongoing uh, uh, crisis with the drought there? Because you see, the thing is, uh, in the Western Cape, we don't really get uh, summer rain. So the rain we did get the past few days, we got two days of rain. It's pretty bizarre. It's not normal. Right. So uh, you can interpret that as you will, maybe some divine intervention. Well, but you're, you're is, midsummer uh, there now, yeah. Yeah, we're in the middle of the summer. February is the hottest and driest month here, so it's pretty intense. I mean, we get 36 to 40 degrees Celsius uh, during the day here, and it's absolutely exhausting. I don't even, I can't even afford an air conditioner, so I just put it like a, a fan down and it moves the hot air around. <laughs> right, and you just think cool thoughts. Yeah. So the but so the the, the, the critical the, drought that I've been the, seeing, the you've been. You've been you've been sharing posts about uh, how to pull extra water out of your hot water heater, um, things like that. Like, so how critical then? I mean, you've seen the headlines a bit that Cape Town's going to be out of water uh, in X number mm. of days or whatever. Uh, how long has that been looming? So the uh, the the drought in general, uh, there was this article that I saw the other day that was written 17 years ago that predicted that Cape Town's going to run out of water in 17 years. <laughs> and I think there's definitely a, a case of uh, maladministration. Wow. And again, I think it's an excellent example of government inefficiency and why privatization is the way of the future. Right. We've been knowing about this threat for almost two decades, and the government <laughs> has done absolutely nothing to try and prevent it. Wow. And I think the the main thing is, though, to give people some comfort. Uh, day zero, the day the taps got turned off, should have been uh, in April, but it's uh, been pushed back to June now. So right. uh, we've got a little bit of moving uh, wriggle room after the, the two days of rain we got. But yeah, it's still, I wouldn't say people should uh, turn off their awareness in terms of the, the crisis that we're still in. Because we still need a lot of rain. The fact that day zero is in June means that we are expecting rain by June because that's when we're in the winter. Mm-hmm. But if we don't get a good rainy season this year, we're going to be in exactly the same situation come the end of the year. We're going to be in a, the exact same uh, crisis situation if you don't get enough rain this year. Well, and for example, is... I think they've, uh, I think they've projected that we need at least three years in a row of good rain to recover from this. Right, so it, it's also affecting agricultural areas, right? Yes, definitely. Um, I think the, especially the Western Cape is a, a large uh, wine and grape producer, and that takes a lot of water. Right. But uh, they have, they've had to cut back. Uh, but the good thing about the, the wine industry is it, it's adaptable. If you get a dry season, you can adapt it. You can grow other types of grapes. You can make other types of wine. 
So mm. it's not a disaster, but it's still uh, the agriculture sector in the Western Cape has definitely taken a knock. Um, that's one of our biggest uh, water use using industries. Mm -hmm. So I can understand that the, the farmers are really feeling the, the pressure. Right. Um, mm. So, I mean, so, okay, if you can, if you can get the lead out, you get the politics shifted up a little mm. bit get some of these big and small issues addressed maybe with a different leadership um where do you do you see i've been seeing this stuff lately and for people who don't know um maybe all, all five of my listeners uh <laughs> the the coolest monkey in the jungle was a shirt <laughs> that was put on a little black boy in an ad and it caused outrage uh what was it a not a macy's but an h&m store was that h&m yeah got trashed yeah. uh in retaliation and that was and that was a member of the eff the economic freedom fighters yes. right so yeah. do you see them as ascendant or are they a marginal group in south africa because i'm not liking some of that stuff i'm seeing from them yeah because the thing is, they're the big, they're the third biggest party in in South Africa. Damn. They are a devout Marxist party. They are a radical party. They are in, in support of violent revolution. They're pretty much a Leninist party. That's what they self-proclaim themselves to be. Right. And they're not afraid to get violent. They're not afraid to riot. So they are definitely uh, the movers and the shakers at the moment in the South African political environment. But I do think it's some. Is a very uh, we have a lot of turmoil, and I think uh, a lot of South Africans want that outlet. They want that radical populist party. So even though I don't agree with any of their methods and I don't agree with their their platform in general, I do think South Africans need that outlet. So that does give South Africans an opportunity to just <laughs> uh, do what they do in terms of the the H and M store. But uh, the thing is, uh, South African politics is very it's very uh, full of turmoil and it's always changing. It's in a constant state of flux. It's at least some so form of opposition party. And yeah. if so there, to, if there was some of my points, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, some of my points, uh, the fact is, uh, let's just say, I'm not surprised that a party like the, the EFF exists. I don't want them to come into power. I don't want them, <laughs> them to have a large influence on our politics, but I'm not surprised that they have gained the ground that they have. I do expect them to grow in the coming years, especially come the election in 2019. They're going to pull out all the stops, all the virtue signaling, all the populist rhetoric. They're definitely going to use that to their advantage to try and gain more support. And right. the thing is, they, they feed off the ANC's incompetence. They feed off people <laughs> that get disillusioned with the ANC. They go to the EFF much more than to the Democratic Alliance, in my observation. So I do think they're going to grow. I think they're going to uh, become a a strong political force and they're here to stay definitely so the it's fascinating to me to for us to be so post cold war post you know ussr and i'm getting angry at communists and you're like i thought we were done <laughs> with all this but apparently we gotta do this again from time to time uh so there's always been a bit of a, a marxist or communist uh uh slant to the ANC and the post-apartheid South African system, right? Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the ANC is part of a, a three-party coalition in terms of the South African Communist Party and Kusatu and then the ANC. Mm. So they've always had their, their communist faction within their own party. So it's not even a conspiracy theory or just a, a crude observation. It's absolutely on paper, black and white, that sure. they do have a lot of communist influence. And South Africa is full on a welfare state. <laughs> I mean, I think right. 17 million South Africans are on welfare. It's insane. And that number is growing. And I don't think that's a very good uh, projection for the future. Right. Well, and you said, I think you said last time we talked, was it half of South Africans are unemployed or is it a third uh, or something? It depends on how you define unemployed, but it's around <laughs> 33%. Okay. So it's so roughly a third. Okay. Uh, that's not good when your tax revenue is needed to pay for the welfare programs and and all the services, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, only, I think, 6 million South Africans pay about 99% of the income tax. Oh, and okay. I think that number gets even lower if you look at the brackets. I think uh, about 3% pay about 80% of the income tax. So the lower you get that number, that percentage of the income tax starts decreasing little by little. But you can probably narrow it down to about 2% pay to uh, three quarters of the income tax. Well, you know, you know, insane. these super rich have to pay for everyone else because they're stealing all the wealth and and hoarding it all, you know. And what's the mm. worst? That, what's the worst that'll happen if you start taking all their wealth? Uh, uh, man. So, do you think that any of the opposition party are there? Are there any ascend? Is there an an Obama figure or a Trumpian figure who's got some got some juice at the moment that you think is uh, maybe gonna no. take something the right, the right way no or a way that you would like no. um for example the the leader of the democratic alliance uh, muzi mayamane he's supposed to be this charismatic uh populist figure or someone that's in the ascendance but he gets absolutely browbeaten by the anc because mm -hmm. firstly he's not part of one of the big cultural factions of south africa Secondly, as a white wife. Thirdly, he doesn't mm. speak in an African accent, South African accent. He speaks in an English accent. Mm -hmm. So he's absolutely, in terms of optics, he is the puppet of the foreign interests. And I can understand why South Africans view him as such. Right. Optic, his optics game is absolutely non-existent. It's terrible. I don't think he stands a chance of ever becoming the number one in South Africa. Mm -hmm. just because of the the perceptions and in the game of politics perceptions always beat reality that's a fact right well perception becomes reality um so <laughs> have you considered a run yourself i know this is a scary thought but sometimes i look around and i'm like <laughs> it's me like i'm the guy i really don't want to be the guy but i might be the guy you ever consider that i'll, I'll answer that question in a sentence i'm white oh so that I bad really huh? see it happening that bad mm. uh, south hmm. african politics is very complicated in that sense uh, in terms of i mean and even uh, I, I, there's this misconception that a lot of foreigners and especially americans have that uh, black south africans are just this homogenous uh, mass of people that agree on everything and they have absolutely no difference but it can't be farther from the truth they have their own factions they have their own cultural groups 
and these groups hate each other just as much as right. the different races have friction between well, you each have other. Bantus so, and yeah, and Sam yeah, and all well, that. You have Zulus, you have Kozas, you have Sutus, you have Venda. And uh, for example, a Zulu will find it, the average Zulu would not vote for a Kozar very easily, or an average Kozar would not vote for a Zulu just out of, no, out of nowhere. So there's mm -hmm. definitely that uh, tribal aspect to South African politics, and you need to understand that if you want to understand South African politics. Right. Uh, black South Africans aren't just this homogenous group that agree on all issues and just are ganging together against the rest. It's a sure. much more complicated than that. Well, so under apartheid, you might have been able to form some kind of coalition of all of them because they were all treated oh, yeah. the same under apartheid you, yeah, but once you, you break that enemy. yoke uh, then nothing they... unites yeah nothing unites people like a mutual enemy right <laughs> so under apartheid it's a different uh, ball game but in current contemporary south african politics now that there's room for cultural differences to dictate political policies and issues and rhetoric you're seeing it appear much more Mm -hmm. uh, intercultural and interracial divides are definitely being widened through the political environment Okay. And for example, a thing we talked about it on the previous uh, stream, I think, is the idea of uh, the colored South Africans, which is an ethnic group on their own. They're basically of uh, Malay uh, descendants. They're also mixed race. They're basically the, the, the brown South Africans in relation to the, the more African South Africans. Right. And they call themselves coloreds. It's not a derogatory term. They refer to it, they, it's self-referral. Right, they don't have and a direct are, kind of nationality or lineage. It's just no, they're not black and, they also, and they're not they're white. Also, <laughs> no, and they're the most wrong done group in South African politics, in my opinion, because under the apartheid regime, they were too uh, black to be white. And under the new ANC regime, they're too white to be black. Right, so stuck, they've never stuck been in the middle. beneficiaries of uh, political uh, policies. They've always been the middle child. Right. Um, but the interesting thing is, uh, their culture is pretty compatible with the, the white culture in South Africa as well, the, the Afrikaans whites, because they speak the same language. They also speak Afrikaans predominantly. The majority in our Afrikaans is viewed as this language of the oppressor. But in South Africa, the majority of Afrikaans speakers aren't even white. And uh, <laughs> that's a fact that a lot of uh, political activists kind of ignore. They want to paint Afrikaans as this white language, but it's actually the majority of speakers aren't even white. Right. Well, was I seeing, uh, it might have been from your your Twitter the other day about them shutting down a private school because it was teaching in Afrikaans. Mm. And there yeah, was well, outrage. Yeah, Afrikaans school that they demanded should be, uh, it should become English. But the thing is, uh, well, there's 26 universities. That's another issue that we have in South Africa is that they want to turn all the universities English. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had, uh, I think, three or four Afrikaans universities, and now there's only one left that's really Afrikaans. And is it really that much to ask if 10 million South Africans speak Afrikaans as their home language, that one out of 26 universities is an Afrikaans university? They don't even want to concede that. So I think that's a pretty absurd start. Mm -hmm. And because Afrikaans is framed as this language of the oppressor, this colonial right. language, but it's an African language. It originated here. It's not even a hundred years old. It's a very young language. Right. You pointed that out with the, the kind of background of how how the settlement went there and how the Afrikaans kind of got put mm. through hell. So they have a, a strong identity of not being of English descent, you know. But now mm. they're also not treated as Africans, so they're like, well, we're Afrikaans, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
And the thing is, that's what I always tell people is that I'm not European. Uh, mm. I'm ninth generation of my family. We've been here since 1688, and I've been to Europe, and I feel that I don't feel at home there. It doesn't I don't feel any connection to it? Right. Well, I was thinking um, about I that. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that because mm. I, I re-listened to the the previous interview, and I was like, Caracol is more African than I am American. <laughs> like, I think I'm. I think yeah. I'm a general. I'm too. Maybe maybe 150 years, 200 years deep mm. here, my family. Mm. So I'm like, damn, he's more African than I am American. That's a weird, that's a weird just thought. Just out of curiosity, uh, what is your heritage? What from where is your family originate from originally? Um, a little. Uh, it's kind of a double dip of Irish on both sides. Um, my dad's mom. I think my dad's mother or no, my dad's grandmother came over during the uh, potato famine and the other sides are <clears throat> like Scottish, I think Norwegian and English. So pretty, mostly white. And I remember some, I remember a rumor from some family member about some Native American in there somewhere. Hmm. Sure. Okay. Uh, well, I'm French, Dutch, German, and English, so I'm a proper mutt. Right. <laughs> yeah, sort of like sort of like America. You know, you get those colonial states, and they just started, you know, sending all their criminals and whatnot. Mm. <laughs> the thing is, uh, one of my ancestors on my mother's side, uh, weird twist of fate, and if it didn't happen, I wouldn't exist. So he was on his way to uh, New Zealand, and I think in the 1800s, and when they passed uh, Cape Town, he kicked the captain's dog and they threw him off in South Africa and said, you're not coming with us. And then he stayed. <laughs> so if that didn't happen, I wouldn't exist. Right. Well, that's a fun story. <laughs> mm. You could call it fate. Right. There was a, I have a purpose. Right. In the larger scheme of things. So when you single-handedly help save South Africa from the commie uh, infiltrators... <laughs> It will all be due to a, ca a guy kicking a captain of a ship's dog hundreds of years ago. Definitely. That will be part of the law. That will be counted. Right. right. No pressure. No pressure. Um, so let me see. So, uh, so the drought, not over, but the rain was uh, indicative of uh, maybe the, the, the rains will come again and then that particular crisis might kind of... Uh, yeah, but like I said, um, uh, the Western Cape is not a summer rain uh, region, so we don't expect more rain to come. It only helped us to postpone day zero mm -hmm. and to kind of help us deal with the drought. But the drought going on has been going on since 2011. Right. So we are still hoping for a very rainy winter to come. But if that doesn't happen, we're like I said, we're going to be in this sticky situation for the next few years until we get a very wet winter. But the, the other thing that I think is also a, a point that needs to be raised is the fact that we haven't really, and I think I've touched on it earlier, is that we haven't really done enough to uh, deal with it in the past. We weren't thinking long term. I think people just had this attitude, the politicians in the Western Cape had this attitude of, no, it will just rain. We'll be fine. We don't have to prepare. Right. They didn't, they didn't uh, build boreholes. They didn't expand the dams. 
there's this one joke uh, because there's this cliche in South Africa where South African politicians deflect from their own failings by blaming apartheid on it for everything, everything that's wrong in the country. And there's this one joke that goes, um, it's apartheid's fault that we have uh, the water crisis at the moment. They built the dams too big, so now they can't possibly be full. <laughs> right, right. They built too many roads, and now we can't uh, afford to repave them all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's uh, South African politics is incredibly interesting, and that's why I'm so glad that I'm I could be part of it. I'm really glad to be in the generation that I am to be here to witness it and to be part of it. And definitely, like I say, interesting times indeed. Uh, not only for the world, but for South Africa as well. Sure. Well, uh, so that we... so that water situation is that at all similar to California's problem, where they they sort of changed their their water holding and and everything. They like removed reservoirs and whatnot, and didn't account for like population growth, and uh, then that to led extent, to part uh, of their their um, drought. The Western Cape drought or water crisis is also driven a lot by population density. So there's been a large influx in immigration from the other provinces because we don't have states, we have provinces. Right. There's been a large influx of uh, people migrating from the other provinces to the Western Cape uh, after work, after um, uh, a safer environment. The Western Cape has the, the least amount of crime, even though Cape Town is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Hmm. Um, but I do think that played a, a large role in the, the water crisis is the influx of new people and the, the infrastructure just can't deal with it. Right. And well, I mean, hopefully that, you know, there's some changes there or, hmm. you know, I guess it's just the climate, but you hmm. could also say the management could change yeah. a little bit because the, we haven't seen, at least that's the assessment I remember seeing in some of the headlines is we haven't really seen a major populated city go through a, the kind of drought that Cape Town might be looking at. And so we don't really mm. know what that kind of catastrophe looks like. Yeah. But the thing is, if I can indulge you in a, in a theory. So there mm. is a theory that uh, the current day zero is a hoax. It's only used by the, the current uh, governments of the Western Cape to use as a leverage to control immigration to the Western Cape. So they can say, but no, there's already a, a too dense population here. We can't accept just anyone coming and flooding here. So we're going to have to regulate the immigration. Because the thing is, most of the right. people immigrating to uh, the Western Cape are ANC supporters. They're coming from the Eastern Cape. So the ANC is not going to try and hamper the, the, the flow of people here because they will definitely vote ANC. And that's threatening the DA's power in the Western Cape. So it's a, I can see the, the merit in the theory that you can use that as leverage right. to try and control this influx of new voters, almost as what you have with the Democrats in the USA, where you just, if people won't vote for you, you import voters. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that, I hate that when a conspiracy theory kind of has a, a thread of truth to it because then you're like well i don't know maybe the earth is flat but then you know <laughs> but then it, the the problem of course is you can't play well i guess you can you could you can play chicken with there's not gonna be any water if you want but that's mm. not a good that's not a good feeling to think that and and you've seen evidence of it right like have there been yeah. water shortages uh 
Yes, definitely. You can see the effects of the drought. It's not a the drought itself is not a hoax, but the the I, the according to that theory, the fact that the taps are going to be turned off on a certain date is not going to happen. Right. We're not in as deep as people are being led to believe. Damn. That's what because the that that says. sounds plausible. You use the scarcity as a lever, as as leverage mm. uh, for political reasons when really mm. it's just a matter of you've created this. Uh, You've created zero day and you use it in like yeah. a political ad and it sounds real scary. That sounds yeah. plausible that a politician would do that. Uh, but mm. at the same time, it's you're like, yeah, issue, but, you know. but we need to address it so that it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a budget. The idea, I'd say that it's definitely a game, of, not, not a game of chicken, but it's a trade off. Mm. They see in the long term, they'll be able to gain more from the uh, controlling immigration than this little blight on their CV, the idea that they had a water crisis. Right. So we'll have to wait and see. I think the, the Western Cape is in for a very rough ride in terms of politics. It's definitely a battleground. Because mm-hmm. um, the thing is, the, the ANC doesn't like the fact that there's an opposition party that is running municipalities, because then you can compare their conduct and their performance in other provinces to the, the opposition party's municipalities. And if the DA, for example, is performing better than the ANC, then they can use that as leverage to get new supporters and new votes. So I think the ANC is definitely feeling threatened by the idea of an entire province, the Western Cape, being run by the opposition party. It's, for example, let's say in the uh, in like in the U.S., where a state is run by the Democrats and it starts doing much better than the <laughs> other red states, then they can use that as leverage. They can use that as a right a comparison. Say so yes, but right. see, we bring prosperity. Right, and that's what the the DA's uh, slogan is: the DA delivers. The DA uh, <laughs> delivers on services. So they they're milking that cow definitely. Uh, but like you said earlier, you don't really know. Just because you, just because you're the heckler to the the uh, party in power, doesn't mean that your position necessarily has any merit. Yeah, it's much easier to run a province than to run a country. Yeah, to put it simply. Right, right. Um, wow. I mean, I hate to see people. We do this all the time. American politics gets all granular down to the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of every individual representative gets television time and everything else and apparently the rest of the world is looking at it but it's got to be annoying when they're like wait a senator from north dakota is talking now and then you're talking to me about the particulars of south african politics and then my my head starts to spin a little bit i'm like oh jesus (laughs) this party and that party yeah you've got the definitely got more eyes on you than eyes on south africa you've been the world's become infatuated with the u.s social media (laughs) it seems almost that foreigners like myself almost know the u.s better than a lot of americans at times oh yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely well i mean if you're if you're paying attention to it it's there's a few factors that I think are really important, like obviously the U.S. military, global reach. Our economy is integral to the rest of the world. We've got a shit ton of nuclear weapons. It's an issue that you should pay attention to if you start paying attention to these things. It can be a bit yeah. frightening to watch our politics well, be such a, uh, such a shit show. But, you know, other countries, other important things are happening and and it boils down to, you know, democracies trying to function and it's dirty. It's it's it seems like it's always a bit filthy. 
Yeah, because the thing is, South Africa also had its own nuclear weapons, and we were yes. the, the I think we're the only country that has dismantled its own nuclear weapons that it developed itself. Right, as far and, as I know, uh, that's one true. One guy, tongue in cheek, uh, one of my mates tweeted the other day, um, when the when the the idea of land appropriation came up, he said uh, the last time uh, Afrikaners were backed into a corner, they developed nuclear weapons. So just be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's not one stored somewhere that you could. Uh, never mind. I'm, we're giving people. No, I, we, we're giving we people ideas. Technology to the Middle East. That's a conspiracy oh, theory. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that. Of truth in. Yeah. Thanks for that, assholes. Uh, not well, that they've uh, done much with it. <laughs> uh, interesting uh, theory as well. Well, not a theory. It's been pretty much confirmed. Is the the involvement of the Israelis in the South African nuclear program? Oh, interesting. So when we were developing our nuclear weapons, uh, Israel was developing its own nuclear weapons. And mm -hmm. the source of Africa's nuclear program was like 60, 70% done. And they told us, well, um, we can give you all this other information, the last pieces of the puzzle that you need. Uh, you just need to test it. You can build, we can give you the, the knowledge that we have. You can build the weapon. You have to test it. You're already the world's uh, supervillain, basically, during right. this time. So we can't test it. We'll be getting a bunch of flack so you test it you can keep all these goodies and then you just send us the data so there was definitely cooperation between <laughs> the israeli state and south africa in developing nuclear weapons wow so that that's true that's not speculation that's pretty much it's not mainstream knowledge but if you dig hard enough you can find all the the little trails and strings okay all right. But, that's uh, the interesting thing is I've actually driven past. Uh, there's a secret weapons base, not a nuclear testing site, but a weapons testing site on a mountain. I've driven past there. It looks fucking ominous. There's like this huge concrete tower there. <laughs> looks like an Area 51 almost. But I think it's been abandoned. But that's where definitely where the apartheid government tested a lot of its secret weapons. Sure. Well, that's well, that's kind of a sexy. Uh, that's a cool. Uh, uh... That's fodder for someone to write some good South African fiction about uh, in <laughs> intrigue and spies and whatnot. Uh, mm. So let's see. Um, I didn't have like a, a notepad or a checklist of specifics. And kind of like last time, we just sort of rambled a little bit. Um, you know, like talking about politics and everything. I, I mean, I just kind of fucked up, to tell you the truth. Um, I... Uh, I used to do Kyle style podcast and I would just read like a, a, a history anecdote or something like that. And I jumped on trying to report, I guess, on politics. And I'm looking at, you know, Ben Shapiro sticks hex and hammer. Uh, and I'm like, well, they can do it. You just kind of read the news and then you kind of dissect it. But it's been like trying to drink out of a goddamn fire hose for the last few months. <laughs> and, and I'm not the only one that's, that's commented on how, it just seems like everything has gone absolutely batshit in the last, well, year, but especially in the last few months, it seems like. There's definitely been a shift, yeah, and you can see it in the growth of political channels on YouTube and just alternative media in general is the fact that they've latched onto this. They've benefited. They've uh, seized the opportunity that the, these, I mean, new political developments, new scandals are coming in at a breakneck speed every week. Yeah, you There's can't, so you can't keep about. up with it. Um, you know, and, and by the time, especially maybe just not having a whole, not having a lot of background in, say, economics or, like, political science or even necessarily history, hmm. 
you any scandal mm. comes up by the time you've dissected it and you're you're able to explain it it's now three days later and now harvey weinstein's raped 20 more people and you're just like <laughs> i can't i i can't actually sort this out and then explain it to someone else mm. with any clarity you know yeah but I do think it's also a symptom of the internet. Uh, the world's become more interconnected. A lot of people like to say, oh no, the world's getting perpetually worse and it's the end times. Like, no, the, this shit has always happened. We're just more aware now in the modern age. Right, we're getting a bigger sample if, of it. If there's, a, if there's a car bomb in Sudan, you can read about it. It's trending on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, in the past, that wouldn't even be reported in the newspaper. But these things happen, these tragedies and these terrorist attacks and all these scandals were happening. The, the, world has, the world's eye has just gotten wider right the people are talking about and you don't have to rely on major news uh, outlets for your news anymore that's why i'm mostly reading alternative media yeah citizen reporters where you can hear it from the horse's mouth that's why that's how i got onto twitter is why i just followed a bunch of people from uh, during the american election i followed a bunch of people on the ground regular americans so i could figure out what the hell is going on because i realized and that's before I even got disillusioned with mainstream media. It's the fact that I realized these people have a vested interest. These people are not reporting the full story. They're reporting polls that are definitely skewed, definitely wrong. They're not giving you the right impression. Right. Then I started talking to regular Oaks, and then I realized, oh, shit, wait. What the, what the polls say isn't really the, the full picture. They're painting a very idealistic picture. And if you only trusted what the mainstream media were reporting, Mm -hmm. You definitely believe that Hillary had a 98% of winning. Yeah. And I think that fact, the fact that they were so monumentally, monstrously wrong, mm -hmm. definitely gave them a black eye for the future. I think people have definitely lost a lot of trust and respect in the mainstream media globally. Yeah, well, talk about, we'll talk about a weird, yeah. a weird schizophrenic moment. <laughs> it was like watching, like, you know, coverage from CNN, watching mainstream news, and seeing how one-sided it was kind of being presented and seeing going other places, maybe 4chan, you know, parts of Reddit, Twitter, and not seeing the just the, the popular support the there. Yeah, and you're going, wait, okay, come on, Kyle. You're smarter, yeah, you're smarter than CNN, Gallup, all these other, <laughs> all these different firms and everything. You've got it figured out. Come on, man. Mm. And then that <laughs> moment where you're like, oh, my God, they don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> They're just as clueless as you. But they wear a nice tie and they get a six-figure salary. Right, right. I'm in the wrong business. I can make up shit. And, you know. Yeah, uh, you just have to read off a teleprompter and you earn a million dollars. Right. And then someone will do my makeup. This would be fine. Hmm. Yeah, you don't even have to form your own thoughts. You just read another person's opinions. You get paid to read off a script. Right. You just have to look pretty. And then we'll sell cars and, and pharmaceuticals and shit that will make you go crazy. Mm. No, it's... <laughs> I think in the past two, three years, there's been a great disillusionment with mainstream news. Uh, I think I just saw the other day, you can... Uh, Salon, CNN, BuzzFeed, all these outlets are in big financial trouble. They're losing viewers. Yeah. They're really, they're laying off people, they're downsizing, they're moving from their pristine, perfect uh, apart uh, penthouse offices into like bad neighborhoods because they can't afford it anymore. Right. They're definitely in some deep trouble. Well, that's why Newsweek went full retard the last like six months yes. or so. They were trying to get clickbait to generate ad revenue mm. and all they did was shoot themselves in the foot and made mm. everybody think they were insane because they w were.
Yeah, that's why I always repeat this tweet when I hear hear news of a, a news outlet like BuzzFeed or Newsweek laying off some of its reporters or journalists. I always say, well, um, race bait, clickbait, and hyperpartisan reporting is not a long-term strategy. I'm absolutely stunned. Right. Well, it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. And I think, I think what a lot of people don't realize is now, for example, the, the New York Times or one of these artists would say, oh, we've, we've had a growth in subscribers. We've had a growth in viewership. I'm like, yeah, because you're cannibalizing the rest around you. Uh, right. When one news outlet goes down, those they jump basically ship. get viewership refugees. Yeah. Right. And they go to other news outlets, and then they experience a little bit of growth, but at the same time, they're in the same rat race. Right. And meanwhile, stuff like the Daily Wire probably Steven Crowder, mm. um, who, I don't know who the liberals are anymore, Pacman? Uh, uh, the Young Turks. Oh, God. Uh, but meanwhile, people, outlets like that are just eating their lunch because they haven't, I don't, yeah. I'm not sure how they haven't adapted to this. Like, this yeah. isn't a new uh, situation, you know? It's been years now of alternative media. Yeah. And... But I think it's... That have failed to adjust to the internet age. I think we have a, a class of journalists and a class of reporters that are just too old and too backwards to really mm. take full advantage of the opportunities of the internet. Right. They can't do what we do. We can, if the news story breaks, the alternative media can just go on, tweet about it, write an article instantly. These news outlets, these big money news outlets, have to first write a script. They have to run it past the advertisers. They have to send it through all the checks and balances, the diversity department, whatever. And by the time they get that news on the screen, it's two days old, three days old. And the alternative media like Steven Crowder or TYT or any of those have already reported on the story three days ago because they could instantly just sit <laughs> in front of the camera with a microphone and just give their thoughts on the internet live. Right, right. I mean, I've thought about just opening up like a live stream on you know Periscope or whatever, do the kind of Cernovich thing. Uh, but mm. what I hate is is also that race to be first. And then you can talk endlessly about shit that is in a void because you don't actually know. Uh, like the school shooting we had yesterday. You could jump on and start talking about it before mm. you even know if it's really happening, where it's happening, how, how many people have been killed. And yeah, you're first, but you're not adding anything. So yeah, somewhere between a, somewhere a, between a, a six months late think. and immediate, there's a nice gap mm. there where you can really assess what's going on and give some kind yeah. of reasonable commentary. Yeah, that's why a lot of these uh, fake news situations. I don't think there's a lot of malice behind it. I think it's just a race, like you say, to the to the top to be first. Mm. They want to report first, and that's why a lot of these outlets report uh, Sam Hyde as the shooter. <laughs> <laughs> you saw the Bill yeah, O'Reilly. Yeah, <laughs> I saw you tweet out. Yeah, dude, it's it's surreal. Uh, it's yeah, absolutely. I love it. Who was it? It was Matt Palumbo was like, why do people keep falling for this? And I'm like, you know, I'm thinking, do you want to tell him or do we just let this ride because it's fucking hilarious? <laughs> Ugh. Uh, someone needs to stop this man. Like Sam Hyde has gone on an absolute massacre. He's, I think he's put a dent in the American population by this point. Yeah. And nobody's talking about it. It's just it's the worst thing ever. I mean, people are worried about Trump he's all the a, time and he's out there literally yeah, killing people. God. Going from school to school on a jet. He's basically a one-man terrorist organization at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, does he have some kind of CIA protection? We just don't know, and, you know, no one's even asking these questions. No one's asking the hard questions about Sam Hyde. Uh, yeah, it's a mess. Um, so what are we at here? Um, well, what are we at, about maybe 45 minutes? Not that we need to limit ourselves arbitrarily, mm. but uh, let's see. So Lauren Southern, with her, her pretty, pretty self, went down there and is doing a documentary, I guess, on the, the farm situation down there. Mm. Have you mm. seen any of the clips from that? Uh, yes, I have. And I'm really glad that foreign uh, reporters are actually talking about it. I think the other day in, at the UN or at some type of EU conference or something, there was actually a mention of her journal, uh, investigative journalism in South Africa. Good. And uh, the word is getting out. People are talking about it. People are realizing, oh, shit, wait, the Rainbow Nation isn't all just uh, moonshine and roses. It's a, it's a bit more complicated than people realize. And mm -hmm. the fact is, but also, you also see populists on the other side, on the right, exploiting the farm murders and calling it an absolute genocide, mm -hmm. which I do not agree with. I don't think it's a genocide. It's definitely a serious issue. It's definitely, there's a, definitely a racial element to it. There's a hate element to it. It's definitely uh, something that needs attention, but we're not being rounded up into camps just yet. Right. So I always tell people, hold your horses, don't uh, overblow it, don't uh, sensationalize it, because then people can just instantly discredit you, and then the issue gets uh, thrown under the carpet and it just gets forgotten, because people get too excited, people over, people exaggerated for clicks. Right. Well, so, so yeah, are you a, you're a, a fan of issue. you're you're a fan of Jordan Peterson? No, oh, I'm a big fan. Okay. Uh, Jordan Peterson is definitely a, a person that I try to follow as much as i can in terms of uh, if he does an interview i always try and listen to it absolutely um, he, was, he was on uh, joe rogan the other day a few weeks ago and i watched it live and it was really interesting um i do think he's a rising force he's almost like a celebrity at this point uh, he's right. gained such a such a huge amount of traction in 2018 it's unbelievable right. after his uh, kathy newman interview yo man it's uh, he's being injected into the mainstream normies are starting to talk about jordan peterson and making pepe memes so what you're saying is uh <laughs> uh so he he said something in i think the it might have been that most recent joe rogan or one of the previous ones where uh he he was talking about how complex the world is and how you there's all these complex systems all kind of working together, right? Mm. And people want to go mucking about in all of these different systems to try to get the outcome they want. And the more radical changes people try to make, the more they start tampering with like primal forces of nature, essentially. And... Just because you want to alleviate poverty, just because you want to create, you know, increase equality doesn't mean that that's what you're going to get. And and he also said, you know, we we're in a really volatile, chaotic time. And so the thing with, say, like the South African farm murders, hashtag white genocide kind of dichotomy, if that's not handled, treated appropriately, it could create that problem very easily if cooler yeah. heads don't have the right words to describe the situation as you just mm -hmm. as you just kind of you know yeah. you did it 
Mm, uh, I think it was Aristotle that said the worst form of inequality is to try to make unequal things equal. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's uh, populist exploitation when it comes to the, the scandals and the issues that we have in the world on both sides, leftist and right uh, populists, mm -hmm. is that they take these issues, genuine issues, and for example, the progressive issues or right-wing issues, doesn't matter, and they take it and they exaggerate it and they sensationalize it for their own benefit, some more malicious than others. And I, that's what I mentioned in my recent video on populism, is the fact that these populists are using it to further their own cause, but at the same time, they're creating a false image of the world. People uh, are thinking the world is a much more dangerous and chaotic place than it really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then mor moralizing it so that you can demonize the, op the opposition. You, you say that they're basically evil because they don't agree with one particular point or one particular policy and they disagree they they aren't mm. cooperative because they're racist nazis bigots whatever it is or mm. commie scum sometimes people are just <laughs> commie scum but uh yeah. you know you can't just otherize everybody in policy and sometimes people are just uh, <laughs> nazi scum at the same time as well. <laughs> right, so, right yeah and i think that's what's happening is that because people are just crying wolf all the time real nazis are getting away with absolutely atrocious rhetoric that should be challenged in the mainstream intellectual sphere mm -hmm. but because everyone's called a nazi no one is a nazi like that infamous uh, incredibles quote that doesn't go exactly like that i think if it was exactly that it would be a much more controversial film but the, um, another thing that I also think relates to this is the mean world syndrome that was coined by George Harpner, who said that mean world syndrome is a phenomenon whereby violence-related content of mass media makes viewers believe that the world is more dangerous than it actually is. And I think that's what's happening with uh, social media, is that because we're so hyper-aware now of every disaster that happens in the world, whether it be Cape Town's water crisis or a car bomb in Istanbul or whatever, mm -hmm. The, the people in general that are browsing and seeing these stories are getting the false impression that the world is getting worse and the world is a much more chaotic and terrible place than it actually is. Right. Because they're only cherry-picking the worst things. Well, and I've... For example, I've... Uh, positive stories very seldom reach the front page. Yes, yes. Or, you know, be, you know heart disease is the number one killer of Americans, uh, but they're mm. not going to do a story about it because it's a thing that takes... 80 years to affect you and we don't necessarily know yes. what all the causes are aside from smoking mm. and too much you know sugar uh so they're not going to do a story about someone who's in mid-stage heart disease because that just looks like a person there's no there's nothing to you talk say that about as i take a long drag from my cigarette hey all right all right <laughs> uh, but i think what's also happening is the fact that um with this whole uh, positive stories not reaching the front page mm -hmm. is the fact that people don't people don't realize that the world is actually getting better um, mm -hmm. and i think you also see it uh, in like you say where everyone is just a commie scum or nasty scum on the internet right uh, the right wing uses antifa as this rising threat there's this huge criminal terrorist syndicate that's going to overthrow american democracy and then the left wing uses these nazis on on the internet as there's this Nazi conspiracy that's going to overthrow American <laughs> democracy. Right, there's white supremacists so everywhere. Good, and they and they overblow it completely just to serve their own narrative. Well, so there's uh, 
I've almost been meaning to do a whole episode on this. I need to find a copy of this book. I remember reading it back in the day. Um, it's called Wisconsin Death Trip. And it was made and it was put together in the 60s during a very chaotic period. And the author's point was to point out what you were just talking about, that no, it's not falling apart. Things are always kind of chaotic. And he took news reports and obituaries and things from a couple counties in Wisconsin state in like 1890 to 1895, something like that, and kind of scrapbooked them together and put things in, in sequence. And if you look at that, it looks like everyone's dying of diseases. There's The world is ending. Oh, yeah, everybody's murdering everybody. Cannibalism, like serpents are coming out of rivers and eating people's livestock. It looks like the end of the fucking world, but then that was just one tiny corner of what was still a frontier. Mm. And you can only imagine what cities look, looked like. And then you jump to now and you're like, oh, okay, it's just kind of always a bit chaotic. But here we are. It doesn't collapse. It's just uh, kind of a mess. That's life. <laughs> just kind no, of a the mess. The thing is, uh, if you look at history, every generation believes they're living in the end times to some extent. Yes, that's and very every, vain. Every 50 or 30 years, there's a moral panic where people just think that the entire society is crumbling into degeneracy or evil. Some evil force is threatening our way of life. You can see it with the Red Scare and the Satanic Panic, and now more recently, the if I can say it, the Red Marga Caps Under the Bed Panic. The idea that there's just <laughs> Nazis everywhere. Your neighbor definitely has like a swastika in his room and is thinking about ethnic cleansing and everything. So I do think right. there's a paranoia that accompanies a moral panic. And I do believe we are currently in smack dab in the middle of a new moral panic. The, For example, uh, in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was video games cause uh, school shooters and they cause, uh, they turn your child, uh, if you listen to heavy metal, it could turn into a Satanist and start sacrificing cats. Right. Today, it's I've literally seen articles where they write, if your son or daughter is listening to heavy metal music, they might be part of a hate group. They might be a Nazi. I'm like, shit, man. Haven't we heard this story before? Right. Uh, instead of video games causing violence, it's now video games cause misogyny. Right. So it's the exact same narrative, pearl clutching, that you've seen in every generation. And I do think people need, not enough people are aware of that fact. They are just oblivious to the fact that this is the same tune that we've been hearing for the past 20, 30 years. And it's just right. a different side making claims. Right. So, and I think you can, if you look at Gamergate as well, um, gamers are definitely a, a group in society that have been demonized and used as a scapegoat. They're just the cesspool of degenerates and nazis and misogynists <laughs> and racists right and it can't be far from the truth the the gaming community in the world is pretty much a very tolerant and accepting group of people they're pretty much losers and nerds and geeks they're people that have been shunned and ostracized by society and they can't help it oh, they can't they can't help but be tolerant and know the fact and know what it feels like to be a minority or to be ostracized or to be hated for who you are so I think they can relate to that. So that makes them a very tolerant and accepting group in society. I think gamers get a lot more slack than they deserve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the same with the Dungeons and Dragons uh, community in the uh, 20th century. They got the same slack that they were these Satanists and they were these degenerates and evil people. But right. I do think if you are already since, uh, since childhood been ostracized and you found a home and found a family in these communities, 
you're much more prone to be able to relate to the plight of, for example, minorities or people that have been ostracized from society for different reasons. Sure. And then you can see through various like narratives and try to dig at what's actually true, not what you're just mm. not just what you're being told. And that's really what the whole Gamergate thing was. Uh, people yeah. said, wait, this you're you're turning our our gamer news into corporate propaganda right yeah that was kind of how it all started the thing is yeah and i do think that's where a lot of people got red pulled is the fact that when they realized that there's this big disconnect between what's being reported and the actual uh, what's actually happening on the ground mm -hmm. the fact that wait uh, gamers aren't these misogynistic racist fucking degenerates they're actually pretty tolerant and accepting accepting people they're pretty nice blokes and I do think that's where a lot of this disillusionment started is with the Gamergate's whole scandal. I think that's where a lot of this red pilling happened, where a lot of liberals, people that were on the left, realized, shit, the left's out of control. Mm -hmm. They're starting to become authoritarian. Mm -hmm. They've become the new establishment, and they control the narrative. And then you have a, a classic scenario where the farther the pendulum swings to the right, the harder it swings left, and the harder it swings left, the harder it swings right. Mm-hmm. It swings back, yeah. So, and I think that's definitely what's happening. Uh, one of my favorite uh, South African philosophers said, "I'll translate it." He said, "The father, the when society moves left, oh, when society moves right, the intellectuals move left. When society moves left, the intellectuals move right to make sure that the seesaw doesn't tip over." <laughs> and I do think that's what's happening today. Is that, for example, me? I was a devout liberal uh, three four years ago i was mm -hmm. definitely on the progressive train but now the the ground has shifted beneath me i didn't change any of my stances i didn't change any of my views really significantly i didn't take a single step but now i'm on the right for some reason because mm -hmm. i believe in individuality and in free speech and not judging people by their skin color or what they have between their legs is right. that really such a right-wing perspective i thought it was pretty progressive <laughs> right uh i have similar story i mean, I, I used to have dreadlocks all right uh, mm. the, uh, the ish, the, the things that have shifted some of my opinions are things I just didn't know about. And then I learned about them and I went, oh, okay. Uh, some things I still don't really understand, like economics broadly. Like mm -hmm. I read some Thomas Sowell and I try to sort it out. I feel like a lot of it is voodoo and no one really knows what the hell they're talking about, but there's, there's. I've seen like communists or socialist types say that a centrally planned economy can work. And then you look up Hayek and others and you go, yeah, I don't think that it can. And mm. they would love to try that again with our real economy and probably ruin it. So you go, no, we're not doing that. We're doing <laughs> this other thing that might be some kind of hybrid, whatever it is that we have now. But if your your position on something like economics changes and you say something like maybe we should tax we shouldn't tax the rich so much, now you're a boot corporate bootlicker, uh, obviously a Republican, and you're like, well, no, I mean I'm still cool with gays marrying. I just also think we should be able to own guns, and you can't yeah. seem to get these different things together all at once without yeah, suddenly getting. Yeah, people definitely become more polarized, where your political label pretty much determines all your views. If you're on the left, you have to support gun control, you have to support abortion, you have to support this. Mm -hmm. And if you're on the right, you have to support X, Y, and Z. 
And I do think that's a big symptom of what we've seen in the US, but also in the world, is that this polarization, people don't have overlapping uh, opinions anymore. There's, in terms of a Venn diagram, you just see these two circles, and they don't really uh, overlap in any location, which right. is completely absurd and wrong. Increased siloing. be party overlap. Uh, I should be able to agree with a person on the other side, and they should be able to agree with me in so, on, on some issues. It shouldn't be this polar where everything, all my stances are the epitome of what they are, are, the, are in opposition to what they view. And I do think it'll pass. It's a, it's a growing period. It's definitely growth pains that we're feeling. Right. So well, do it doesn't. In, it doesn't in help a when. Or so, we'll see a completely different political environment. Yeah. Right. Well, it doesn't but help when when social media algorithms tailor themselves to that siloing. They are bringing you more of what they know you agree with, and so you're not being exposed to the things you don't agree with. So then, when you do encounter something you disagree with, then it's going to be more challenging it's gonna be more like almost maybe more traumatic than what you think so like social media is creating mm. these bubbles unless you intentionally go out of your way to track down the things that you disagree with yes exactly you're not gonna see uh if you follow a bunch of right-wing accounts for example you're not gonna see them retweet uh leftist opinion Right, And if you follow a bunch of resistance people, you're not going to see a, a pro-Trump retweet or a pro-Trump opinion. It's not going to happen. And I think that's really sad. I think it's definitely doing much more harm than good. Right. Um, people can't come together anymore. People can't agree on anything anymore. People are so tribal at the moment that if you are the red team, you can't fucking play games with the right uh, or with the, with the blue team. Right. You can't even have friends on the blue team. You can't marry someone on the blue team. That's a, that's You're being a traitor then. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing more and more views that correlate with that idea of people have just uh, sealed themselves off in these teams. Mm -hmm. And the own flags. Whatever, whatever underlying values which you would think would be based upon some kind of philosophy. You have a philosophy. It results in values, meaning here's how you should act given that these certain things are true. Mm. And then those values then translate into politics because you want your mm. politics to reflect that which is true. So yes, exactly, if you yeah. can't get to understanding the you know moral, ethical, philosophical bedrock of your opposition, then you'll probably just default to their evil. And yes. then you don't have to communicate with them because they're evil. Why would you want to talk to them? They'll infect you with yeah. the cooties of their right-wing <laughs> stuff or their left-wing stuff. Yeah. And really, I think everybody needs to hop on the, the giant fuck pile and start figuring this stuff out. Oh, yeah, yeah no, the thing is, um, and what I also see happening is that people on both sides are using the radicals on their side to gain more support from the centrists. Yes. For example, the, the right-wing will say, look at these Antifa scumbags, these absolute commies, they're going to come for you and your wealth. So then they get a lot of centrists to come to their side. And then the left wing does the exact same. They say, look at all these Nazis on the other side. They're going to put you in death camps. Come to our side. We'll keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And then they get a more, more centrist to their side. And that's uh, what's contributing to this polarization is that the center is shrinking. Right. Well, there, I mean, to be, to be somewhat fair, uh, the thing that I, the thing that bothered me about Antifa and why I was, I was trying to track their uh, behavior over the last year is 
guys waving Confederate flags and shouting blood and soil and, you know, waving swastika flags, that's front page news. It's immediate and yeah. everybody's freaking out. Antifa or whatever, whatever they want to call themselves in different factions and black block or whatever, they were attacking people and, you know, breaking shit and starting riots for like weeks and months. And there was nothing in the mainstream media. It was almost mm. all alternative yeah. media. I mean, instead of swastikas, they <clears throat> they have uh, hammer and sickle T-shirts and flags. Right, and it's you're like, yeah, and you're like, that's not actually much different. In fact, it could be mm. worse than Nazism, uh, body count wise. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't being covered. So then you got to make noise about that to get mainstream media and get people's attention to look at the violence. And yeah. <clears throat> and man. Being up here in the in the Northwest, it's like, uh, it's liberal, kind of, but then there's kind of a conservative uh, faction. But uh, there was stuff down in, like, Portland. There was Antifa and riots here. Uh, not riots, necessarily, but fights and brawls. And watch, trying to track that was interesting because you're like, okay, people are getting really animated there are people talking about uh, states seceding from the union because of Trump. And you're like, okay, someone sets off a bomb. Someone shoots somebody. This thing could start ramping up even more. And I had my eyes on it, getting nervous. <laughs> and then it sort of it sort of evaporated, especially mm. kind of after Charlottesville, actually. It all yeah. kind of ramped down. That was kind of when the, when the pot came to boil, mm -hmm. was in Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. where people's this moral panic people had their paranoia and their fears um uh realized they were confirmed basically mm -hmm. and i saw the other day uh, a guy tweeted out i'm gonna try and find it uh, he made a very good point in terms of u.s politics uh, he said one second um so he said <clears throat> projection is the cornerstone of american politics people project all their hopes and dreams onto their preferred party and all their anger and their fears onto the other party with no real basis in reality and i do think there's an air of truth in that yeah too too but often anyway you'll see the, the people on the right you know people on the right oh these these libtards man fucking social justice warriors every single one of them filthy comments <laughs> then you get people on the left saying oh no look at all these uh, nazis and racists on the right they definitely the the evil we are the great saints. We can do no wrong. And then people on the other side know the it's the liberals that are evil. We are the good guys. And it's just this constant good guy versus bad guy narrative, which is absolutely wrong. Right. Which makes you feel good when when you when you have your your clan around you, clan with a C, not a K. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> um, one big circle jerk. People are just tapping, uh, patting each on the back say oh isn't it fucking great that we're right that we're on the right side of history and that all these fools on the other side are just these hateful people that don't know how the world works right right something guys that just read the uh, one page of the communist manifesto right how the world works and what's wrong with the world <clears throat> and all these people espousing how great the free market is probably haven't read any uh adam smith or thomas soul for that matter yeah um it's, but I do think it's, uh, I always say, if you want to beat your opponent, you read, if you really dig into what the other side is saying and you read their literature and the basis and the core arguments that they have, you'll have a much better chance of beating them in debate. Yeah, absolutely. You just watch uh, documentaries and read books that confirm your own opinions, you'll never grow as a person. 
mm-hmm. invent those views of your own. And if you don't challenge your, you don't have your own opinions and views challenged, you uh, put yourself in a little bubble. Mm-hmm. You'll never grow. You'll never refine your own opinions. You'll just get stuck in this rut. And, it, and the longer you stay there, it's the harder it's going to be to get out. Right. Um, okay, so you, you said that you needed to get going. I've got one more little uh, sort of a anecdotal piece here. For, take it for what it's worth. Yeah, so, it. <clears throat> damn it. Uh, the Black Pigeon Speaks video that w- that came out yesterday, right? About South Africa. Yeah. Um, there, he pointed out in that video the uh, the picture of what's being circulated as sort of proof that military uh, jamming equipment was being carried on the guy's back. And might be proof that the government mm. is involved in the in the farm murders. Have you seen that picture? Yeah, I've seen that picture, but I don't think it's necessarily uh, the smoking gun, to use a pun, in terms of uh, who's behind it. You can get that type of equipment online as well. So you'll have to see right. a lot of these people are ex-military as well. Sure. Getting it on the black one. So I don't think it's a smoking gun. Right. Well, so so that picture I saw maybe a, a month or so ago, and then it popped up in his video, and Black Pigeon Speaks is pretty thorough oftentimes. <clears throat> but when I first saw the picture, I ran it past uh, Thomas Wichter, who you turned me on to first, uh, and the guy just somehow dives into all this stuff. I don't quite understand how he does it. I don't necessarily know how right he is about things, but he... He explains things that seem plausible. And I sent the picture to him. Mm. He said he wasn't even sure if that was in Africa, if the guy in the picture is even black, uh, whether no, that's, that... That's confirmed, that image. It was reported. It's not recent, though. It's 2015. Mm. But it, is report, it was reported in the South African press. It is definitely a South African source, yeah. Okay. Uh, to my knowledge. Okay. Because I just, uh, I I just don't. You want to be careful about whether or not the military or the government is involved in targeting people, and if it is in fact jamming equipment, if it is in you fact, you want to get carried away with cherry picking evidence, yeah. Right, <laughs> right. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Thomas Wichter was wrong about that one. Uh, but you know. Yeah. This this whole thing, right? You try to listen to people who you think know what they're talking about. I want to know about South Africa. I'll talk to a South African. And me. Mm. hopefully this is just one more conversation where we can boil things down, try to get to some kind of truth. And hopefully people on the left, people on the right, black, white, everyone else will start having conversations like this. Especially as you get more and more, you know, like smartphone technology in everybody's pocket. Uh, this kind of this kind of connectivity will be more more common. Mm, definitely, but I've been enjoyed coming on your show, dude. I'm really I'm glad we're having these types of conversations. Is what needed. Uh, people like us need to do these things. We need to get the word out. People need to have these conversations. And I'll definitely come back in the future if you ever need a, another South African perspective on something. We can even do a show where we just discuss <clears throat> world or American politics if you want. Uh, yeah, uh, I said that I was gonna try to control my drinking, and I don't know if doing that would probably, uh, hinder that, but, uh, (laughs) 
Uh, I, I've definitely, it's been four months since my last episode. The last episode was the, our last interview. Uh, like I said, trying to drink out of the fire hose. I maybe mm. got out of my depth and just, I need to, I need to try to get something out more regularly. Otherwise I can't call you myself. You ride this alternative media wave, man. You're getting left behind. <sighs> yeah, right. Maybe I should just ramble into the camera frequently and then I'll, it'll sort itself out. <laughs> hmm, definitely. Uh, the journey of a thousand steps begins with a single one. Right, right. And I won't say anything dumb because I'm totally out of my depth. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, yeah, good talk. And hopefully you get this up here in the next few days. And if you want audio or whatever, I can uh, make it available to you as well. No, definitely. I want to put this on my channel. I didn't want to put the previous one on because my mic quality was so bad. But I'll definitely put this one on uh, if you can send it my way. All right. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Cheers, man. All right. Yeah, have a good one. Take I'll it easy, man. On.